You're listening to CSN International, your home for the latest praise and worship music and solid Bible teaching. In just a moment, we're going to join a study from the River Christian Fellowship, the home of CSN. But first, I'd like to invite you to come out and join us in person. We're located in Twin Falls, Idaho, and have our Sunday morning service at 10 a.m. Mountain Time and Sunday and Wednesday evening services at 7 p.m. Mountain Time. Visit theriverchristianfellowship.com and click on the map for directions or to schedule a visit. We're glad you're tuned in and hope you enjoy today's verse-by-verse study recorded live during one of our Wednesday or Sunday services. Now let's join the teaching already underway. Well, good evening, guys. Um, You know, one of my jobs, I think, is, you know, teaching the Bible is to help people connect with uh, the text that we're about to read, the verses we're about to read. And uh, I was thinking about that for tonight, and I I couldn't really come up with anything to, to help you connect that that would do the job better than just like getting right to the point. And that's to do with the trials that we face. You know, that's we're going to talk about that tonight, the trials. And so I hope it's easy to get you to connect with the text. And I mean, you like really connect with it and the things that, that we're facing and that, that we all have trials. And, you know, really, I think I, I probably know most of them so I can speak. I mean, not most of them. I know from most of you, a trial you face, not most of the trials you face. I mean, I've, I've heard you say things and stuff and, and I know, right, some of the trials you face, not all of them. And so I know that we all have some, you know some of mine, not all of them, the ones I've been comfortable enough to share with you, you know those ones. So we all, we all have a thing that we're facing. Now, when we think about that though, some of the, the things, if we're honest, is really just a result of our own stupidity. And I don't know if I want to count that as a trial. That's, you know, just being dumb. Uh, but there is, the, the real things we're facing that are a lot of times outside of our control. Where it seems like all that we can do about those things is have faith with it. I mean, that's, that's what we hear is, well, have faith in your trials. Because it's out of our control. I mean, these are the seasons where we feel like we just don't have it in us anymore to, to go like one more day forward and doing the same things that we've been doing and, and go at it again and struggle again and try again. Like you just can't get the strength to do that. And the feeling of that closeness and intimacy with God is, is gone. And it's been a long time <laughs> since, since feeling that. Right? That's a, that's a trial. Right? The persecution we sometimes face. And I'm not talking about the, you know, is, is this persecution meme? The guy who, uh, talks about Jesus when he's supposed to be working so he gets fired? I mean, I, I don't know if that's persecution. The, the ones who whine about losing political influence, that's not persecution. I'm talking about real persecution. Right? That, that's a trial. The pain of watching a sickness and suffering and death in yourself is one thing, but in loved ones, I mean, like that, that's a trial. That's, we're helpless against that. Or really that probably goes along with all of this is the, the dark times of spiritual oppression and, and being attacked. And that usually just goes hand in hand with these trials. Because those dark forces, those demonic forces, know that you're struggling and will use that 
to get you to doubt God and doubt His goodness. And, and it all goes together. I mean, those are trials. And what are your trials? Again, they're, they're real ones. Not just because you've been stupid and, and made some dumb mistakes, but the real things that, it's like outside of your control, that makes, that's hard to face. And then uh, probably the, the more important question is not what are they identifying it, but it's then what? Right? What do we do about that as Christians? How do we face the trials? And that's what we're going to study tonight in First Peter. But it's from this, this point of view. Okay? First Peter. We're going to study First and Second Peter as a church. We started last Sunday. And it's about living. Right? Peter is an apostle who knew Jesus Christ personally. One of his closest friends while Jesus was on the earth. And he got to see from Jesus how we live as Christians. And he's writing a letter now to Christians, new Christians. It's, it's only been about 30 years since Jesus returned back to heaven. And he's telling them, here's how you live. Here's how you live your life. And, and it's this idea as pilgrims or exiles, travelers, journey journeyers, as we go through this world, that we're strangers alongside, right? We're different, but we help. Right? We're, we're different people, so we have a different way of living. <coughs> Which is what Peter's going to help us answer tonight. Or not answer, but help us deal with, or live with, the r- real answers to this problem. Because we all have trials, right? That's, we all have trials. You don't have to be a Christian to have trials. And this is why we need the Bible and words from Peter preserved to us by God so we can hear it inspired by the Holy Spirit. We need this because there's all kinds of answers out there right, of how we face our trials. And if you're talking to like just, just some guy, like a guy in his 30s who's working 40, 50 hours a week trying to pay the bills, and uh, he can't pay the bills. His wife is thinking about leaving him. His kids are sick. That guy's facing trials, right? And what, what answer can we give him that's going to be more appealing to him than going to the bar and numbing it? Right? That's, that's what we need the Bible for because that's the real answers. And not religious answers like the, these fake answers just packaged in religious things like, well, God is just going to bless you. Just keep on going with it. That's not the answers that are going to get that guy into a church on Sunday rather than a bar on Saturday. Right? We need to study this to get real answers to our real problems because Peter is writing to real people with real problems, probably greater than what we're facing. And this is what he's telling them. And these people were, first, they're mostly Gentiles, which means their family worshipped false demon gods. And now these guys are worshipping the true God. And there's probably been separation of the family. I mean, that's, that's trial. The families have been separated. Some of them are being persecuted and thrown into jail for their faith. And Peter's writing to these people. And Peter himself was crucified upside down for his faith in Jesus and said, I'm not worthy to be killed in the same way that Jesus is. Crucify me upside down. Right? These are real trials to real people where we need real answers, not, not the fake garbage we throw at people when they're in their trials. And that's what we're going to see tonight in Peter, is the gospel truth of what we do in our trials. 
And what we see is that trial and faith are connected. And they are in everybody, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, or just call yourself a Christian. Trial and faith are connected in some way. And because we all face trials in our whole life, we need to increase our faith. And I don't mean that flippantly in the just have faith. Okay, because that's not how Peter means it. So let's look at what Peter says about facing our trials. Let's read 1 Peter chapter 1, and we'll do 3 through 12. We'll, <coughs> we'll read that and then jump back into it. See what Peter says about facing our trials. He said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love. Though now you do not see Him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Of this salvation the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who is in them was indicating when He testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that, not to themselves, but to us, they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. So this is the Word of God to us, really facing our trials. Right, let's look at this. There's... Peter starts with the most important part of this. It's what God does. And what does God do in this first? Before we get to what we do. He's he's talking to the the churches. Again, they're facing real problems. And this is what he's, he's telling them. Before he gets, hey guys, here's what you do in your trial. He starts with what God does. And he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Starting there. And and that's important. The Bible very rarely, I can't think of anything offhand, but I haven't thought of it that deeply, uh, that gets right to like, here's what you're supposed to do. There's almost always this part, here's God first. Here's the theological point. And then what you're supposed to do. And what we want is, you know, the fake answer. Here's the practical steps. Here's the seven steps to overcoming trials. That's not how the Bible presents it. It's God. God first. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it starts there because as we apply that into our lives, that's, that's where we need to start. And I, I think of it this way as you have your trials and you have your God. And where are they located in relation to you? Is, is God in front of your trials or is He behind them? And if you think of God as like the sun, right? That it's bright. No matter what's going on, the sun is the same brightness. What matters is where it's located. It is, is the clouds of your trials in front of the sun <laughs> that darkens your God to you so you feel distant from Him and you can't see what He's doing? 
Or are the clouds behind the sun? Where the brightness shines clear. It's, it's a different, it's a perspective thing, but it's an important one. Because what we tend to do in our trial is put the trial first. And then see our God through that, that darkness, through that cloud. And then we feel distant. Then we get that, that attack of, well, where is God? Why don't you feel Him? Hey, where is your faith? Is it really that weak, right? And that, that's what happens. But God is first. God is in front of the trial. Before you do anything, God is there. <coughs> and then Peter tells us what God does. First, God gives us mercy. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He's given us mercy. And there's the mercy of like the, the eternal life kind of mercy where God is giving us, or He's not giving us what we deserve. Because we deserve as sinners, not sinners in general, but you as a sinner. We tend to generalize sinner instead of I'm a sinner, right? I've sinned. And what we deserve is to be always separated from God in this life and in the next, in hell, because of our personal sin that we've committed. And we get mercy that He doesn't give that to us. Rather, Jesus took that on our behalf on the cross, paid the price. So there's that kind of mercy that God's given us. There's also the mercy in this life, where we could define it more as a kindness to the miserable and afflicted with a desire to help them. There's that aspect of mercy too. A kindness to the miserable and afflicted, us, with a desire to help them. See, God has given us that mercy. Who according to His abundant mercy (coughs) has begotten us again. The reason why God has begotten us again. Begotten means to father. And why God has fathered us again. In other words, we've been born again. Why He's done that is because of His abundant mercy. Because of His kindness to the miserable and afflicted with a desire to help them. He's caused us to be born again. It would be spiritually made alive rather than being spiritually dead. He's begotten us again to a living hope. Because of His abundant mercy, He's caused us to be born again to a living hope as, as opposed to a dead hope. And when we're in those trials, which Peter doesn't get to right now, again, he's, he's still talking about God here, but it's inevitable. You're going to put your hope in something to get you out of that trial. And is it a living hope or a dead hope? He's saying that God has brought us to a living hope because Jesus is eternal. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He's eternal. Our dead hopes are the hopes we have based on our feelings. Okay, the, the false things we put our hopes into. Okay, whether it's numbing it through drinking, drugs, alcohol, TV, porn, all those things we can numb ourselves with, that's a dead hope because it depends on us. Okay, we have to go out, seek those things, ingest them, and it doesn't really do anything to help us. It just numbs it. There, there's a dead hope of this self-help thing that you know goes around in churches even, where here's how you become a better person, here's how you can live with biblical principles and have a better life. That's, that's a dead hope, because it's, it's still dependent on you. The living hope is Jesus Christ, because He is the God of the living, 
not of the dead. He is eternal. He's defeated death. So we need a living hope, not a dead hope. And this, this will all tie together as we go through. But let's just leave that right there for now. Through His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This is how God has given us this, is through Jesus' resurrection. Which is a historical, verifiable fact that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, Jesus of Nazareth. And what that means is that Jesus defeated death. And death is the wages of sin, which means Jesus was without sin. Which means the Father has accepted His sacrifice on our behalf. Which means we're forgiven. Which means we can have a living hope. Which means God has had mercy on us. So Peter, before he gets in anything else, ties our hope and our trials to God's mercy, which He's given us through the resurrection of Jesus. And that, that's the starting point. When he goes on, Right, but that, that's what first God has given us mercy. Now look at verse 4. Because He gives us even more than that. He gives us an inheritance. It says, To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. See, through the mercy God has given us through Jesus, He's given us an inheritance. That's a place in His kingdom. A place in God's eternal kingdom. And skip, let's, let's skip ahead to next week just real quick. Look at verse 13. Rest your hope. <coughs> Rest your hope, your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so Peter tells us where to put all of our hope. And that's at the grace that will be brought to us when Jesus is revealed and His kingdom is revealed on this earth and we receive our inheritance. So this inheritance, this is very important for facing our trials in a real way. The way that God would have us face it. As I mentioned earlier, okay, here's this is what I kind of struggle with is thinking about this. I mean, we've all been Christians for a while and we've heard the Okay, here's your trials. Let's, here's how we face them. You know, that kind of thing. We've all heard that. And we're here, so we, we're already kind of... Like, like we get that, but the, the, the struggle is, like I said, just some guy, that guy I brought up earlier. There's lots of guys like that. There's lots of people like that. That's just a thing to conceptualize. And... Okay, that guy has a choice of where to get his answers for his trials. And it's like I said, is it going to be God? Is it going to be what the world has to offer, or what false religion has to offer, or self-help. And it's this inheritance that makes all the difference. They've heard it explained this way. I mean, I last Sunday brought up this boat thing where we are from one country, from earth. That's the country we've been born into. But it, when we're Christians, we give up our citizenship in that country, and we become citizens of God's kingdom. And He brings us to His kingdom. And, and if we picture life as like going across the ocean in a boat, trying to get to that kingdom, think about that again. So, let's say you have two guys going on that boat, trying to get across. And you give them life jackets. And you say to one guy, 
put on this life jacket because it's going to make your boat ride so much better. You trust me, you just want this life jacket all around you. You want to feel the warmth of the life jacket. You want to feel the love of the life jacket. Put the life jacket on and you'll have a much better trip across the ocean. So that guy said, okay, I'll try that out. Well, he gets on the boat and no one else is wearing it. And they're having fun. Right? They're, they're not constricted by the life jacket. They're able to do what they want to do. And he, and, and he just feels the, the constricting of that. And it's not comfortable. He can't sit down. He can't lay down and sleep. Eventually he's going to take that off. Because he sees that's a lie. Right? This life jacket did not make my boat ride better. It made it worse. I'm going to take that off and go join the other people not wearing it because at least they're having fun. And that's, that's the false hope of the false gospel. Okay, here's your trials. Just worship God and He's going to bless you. He's going to pour His love on you. Just put on God and, and let His arms wrap around you and, and He's going to make your life so much better. But then when, what, a, what if He doesn't? You're going to take that off. You don't have a need for that life jacket. Those promises just became false to you. <laughs> because the gospel is the power of God for salvation, not for self-help, not for making our lives easier. So you go to another guy and say, hey, put on this life jacket. The boat ride's not going to be much better, but this boat's going to sink and you're going to need it. That's the only way you're getting out of this. And that guy says, okay, I'll put it on. I trust you. And when I see all these other people living it up, having fun, I know I have what I need to make it through the wreck. See, the, the gospel is you're a sinner who's destined for hell. And God doesn't exist to just remove the trials out of your life and make your boat ride easier. The gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And you need the life jacket because without it, you're going to hell. Without Jesus' forgiveness, without His righteousness, without the mercy that God has begotten you to again, to a living hope, without that, you're going to hell. So forget the boat ride. It's not about that. That's short. That's a short time. What matters is eternity. And what Peter is doing is getting us to think forward. They think beyond the trial for now. Yeah, you know what? Does God sometimes make your life better? Yeah, He does. He's made my life better. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying if that's why you're worshiping Him, those trials are gonna, you're gonna bolt. That's not enough faith to keep you. What you need to know is you're a sinner and you need Jesus to have an inheritance, a place in the kingdom. That's the answer that God gives us. Don't invest everything into this life. And if you get caught up in these trials and just see this life, that's not the faith you need to get to your inheritance. So he talks about this inheritance. And he, he, it's so great that Peter can only describe it in what it's not. He says that it's incorruptible. Our inheritance, our place in God's kingdom is incorruptible. And what Peter does a lot in this letter is he applies Old Testament terms to New Testament believers. He applies Jewish terms to Gentile believers to say we're all part of this together. And this term incorruptible recalls the temple. And that the temple 
would become defiled if anything was done in it that was wrong or didn't follow the traditions correctly that God had laid out for them to do. If they did anything wrong, the temple would become defiled. They would become defiled. And what Peter is saying, your inheritance is incorruptible. Your place in God's kingdom, you can't ruin it by doing the wrong thing. Because that's why Jesus died for you. And not to make your life better, remove the trials, but to get you to His kingdom, because that's where He wants you. He says also your inheritance is, is incorruptible and undefiled. The undefiled means it's unstained, unsoiled, unruined. You can't defile your inheritance. He says your inheritance does not fade away. You can't lose it. It's reserved in heaven for you. See, why, why this is so important is that God is in charge of your inheritance. Just like in life, if you have an inheritance, you're not in charge of it until you get it. You're not in charge of your inheritance. It's not up to you to keep it or to lose it. That's what God has given you through the mercy He's given us through Jesus. But it's reserved for you. Right? Think, think about if, if it's your anniversary coming up and your, your friend is a great wingman and, and he reserves a table for you at uh, you and your wife's favorite restaurant. And it's, it's reserved for you. It's there. Even if you don't show up, there's an empty spot there. Now, if you value that inheritance, you're going to make sure that you get there or value that reservation. You're going to reorient your life. If you had some other plans, you might change those plans to make sure you're at your reservation. If there was some something in the way, if, if, if you knew you had to, <clears throat> to drive to get there, you would make sure to leave to be there on time. If you valued it, if you didn't care, it's just sitting there empty. Maybe it'll be given to someone else. That's what Jesus says. The people didn't come to the banquet. The spot was given to someone else. So your inheritance is reserved for you. And if you value that, your life is going to change, not, not because it has to for you to get there, but because that's what you do when you value a reservation. You make sure that you get there. But the way that this comes together, see, God gives us mercy, gives us an inheritance. Then verse 5 says that He keeps us. So even though I'm talking about us here, it's us and God working together. In verse 5 it says, who are kept by the power of God, through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. So God keeps us. In the word kept, in a lot of translations, it says guard, who are guarded. Because that's what the word means. It means guarded. Who are guarded by the power of God. He's saying we're guarded by the power of God. And guarding has two meanings. One is that nothing will come in. And the other is that nothing's going to go out. Okay, and that's what it says that the power of God is doing. But, I mean, if you're thinking, well, how do trials work in? Right? If God is guarding us, the power of God is guarding us so that nothing comes in. Well, hey, how come all these trials coming into my life? God, why'd you let those in? If He's guarding us to keep us from going out, God, how come I don't feel your presence anymore? Why do you feel so distant? It's good questions. I'm glad you asked. Who are kept by the power of God, how? Through faith. That's how God guards us. That's important. He guards us through faith. That's us working together with Him. See, it's our faith 
is what guards us. Faith is a gift from God, and it's what God uses to guard us, to keep us, to protect us. And when our faith is weak, our guarding is weak. And He does this, it says, through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. So again, Peter connects it to our inheritance, our eternity. As he's telling these people facing real problems, how they should face them, he's saying, hey, first of all, get your focus to eternity. God is guarding you through your faith for your salvation that's not revealed to you yet. That's why He's keeping you. But it's through faith. See, let's focus on, on this part. What we do is important, but it's not more important than what God does. But on the other, the other side of this is, you know, people will say this. Again, these little nice religious sayings. Let go and let God. No, no. The Bible never says let go and let God. It's us together working with Him. He guards us through our faith. So we still work out our salvation with fear and trembling. So there is God and then there's us as well. So now let's look at verses 6-9. through And now Peter focuses on what we do after we understand what God has already done and what God is doing. He's given us mercy. He's given us an inheritance. And He's guarding us. So what do we do? Verse 6. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. So the first thing Peter tells us to do is to rejoice. Now before you like cringe at that, because I always do, is... Yeah, this is like the generic Christian spiritual answer when someone is struggling. Rejoice, brother! Count it all joy! And we throw Bible verses at people like that's really supposed to help. I mean, you're, you're struggling with death and suffering and sickness and demonic oppression. Rejoice! And it doesn't, it doesn't work. And what that is, that's, um, I feel uncomfortable with your trial, so I'm just going to throw Bible verses at you and hope that you agree with me. Don't get me wrong though. It does say rejoice. In this you greatly rejoice. But the important thing, here's what, what we miss when we tell people to rejoice. In this you greatly rejoice. You rejoice in this. What's the this refer to? In context, it should be pretty obvious. The this is the, the stuff we just read. You rejoice in the mercy God has given you. You rejoice in the inheritance that He's given you. You rejoice in the guarding that He does for you. You don't rejoice at the trial. The this is what God has done. See, what does it say you do about the trial? In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. You grieve at the trials. It grieve is a heaviness. The trials... That's a heaviness. You grieve at the trials. That's fine. The rejoicing is not the trial. The rejoicing is the this. The verses right before that. That's what Peter's talking about. So that makes a big difference. So when you're in a trial, or maybe someone you know is in a trial, you don't rejoice at the trial. You grieve at the trial. You rejoice at what God has done. But it also says if need be, for a little while. 
So sometimes, yeah, if need be, you're going to be grieved by various trials for a little while. And in the context of this, I don't think the little while is like a... It's comforting in one sense, but the little while is our life. Like the little while is our whole life. Because Peter is always telling us, you look ahead to your salvation that's going to be revealed to you. You put your hope fully at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So the little while, Peter's never talking about, you know, just go for the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. Just keep, just keep working at it, guys. He never points us to that. So the little while is not just for a little bit and then everything will be better and then God's going to just shower His blessings on you and wrap you in His love. Hey, the little while is probably your whole life. Because you're always going to have trials. This whole life. But our hope isn't in this life. It's at the salvation that will be revealed, as Peter keeps saying. So we rejoice at what God has done. Yet we also persevere, in verse 7, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And there it is again. It's when Jesus is revealed to the world, when His kingdom comes. He's saying we rejoice in what God has done because we're going to be grieved by various trials so that the genuineness of your faith would be revealed. So we persevere. And the picture of Peter's bringing to mind to his audience, I mean, I think it would have immediately come to mind with them. It's the more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire. Right, that gold has impurities in it. And to remove the impurities, you put a fire underneath it and heat up the gold to its boiling point, to very high temperatures. Not its boiling point, its melting point. Uh, to, to very high temperatures. And when you do that, the impurities in the gold rise to the surface. That's called dross. And then the goldsmith scrapes that away. I mean, you can watch videos of it on YouTube. It's, it's, it's kind of amazing. And... That's the picture Peter's bringing to mind. That's what your trials are. If you could talk to gold when it's being melted, it would probably be screaming. It's not, not pleasant to the gold. But the purpose of it is to reveal what that gold is really worth. If that gold is just a tiny fleck of gold filled with impurity, there's not going to be much left. But the gold is purified. It's, it's refined. And it's what's left after the trial, after the testing. is what shows what your faith is really all about. And that's why going back to that life jacket thing, right? if your faith is in God making your life better, hey, and I'm going to worship God because He's going to fix my life, it, the fire is going to burn that up. It's going to heat that out of you. There's no faith left once that's gone. It's so important to put your faith in the biblical God. Now make up a false God and put your faith into that because that God is powerless to save you from hell because it's a figment of your imagination. Right? The fire heats up the dross, removes the impurities. What's left? Jesus uses a similar illustration when, when He talks about uh, the vine and the branches. That the branches, if they're in the vine, they're going to grow. The vine is either going to be cut away and thrown into the fire, hell, if it's not part of the part of the uh, the branches and part of the vine, 
or is going to be pruned. It's the same thing. It's that pain of that refinement where we need that perseverance to see, is this faith really what I say it is? Because that faith, like I said earlier, that's what guards us. And if the trial heats up all that dross and there's no faith left, you're not, there's not much guarding you. Then you should ask yourself, what was my faith really in? And God does this. It says so that our faith that's tested by fire may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So when your life is done, when you need the life jacket because you're facing judgment, is there anything left? Or was your faith in the blessings of this life? Because the idea is that when Jesus is revealed, when His kingdom comes to this earth, that we would be rejoicing, pray, uh, or is it praising honor and glorying at that. And it seems to be both ways here, that Jesus would be glorified in us and through us and in our faith that has been tested and refined. Right? Again, it's that forward thinking to eternity. So we persevere. See, it says in 1 John 2.28, Abide in Him that when He appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before Him at His coming. So when Jesus comes, we're ready to shout and praise and welcome Him. So we rejoice, we persevere, and then verses 8 and 9 say that we have faith. It comes back to faith. Trial and faith are connected. And faith is connected to hope. And your hope is either in a dead hope or a living one, Jesus. And so Peter tells us, hey, what you do is you have faith. Faith not in this world, but in the next one that Jesus is bringing you to. He says, uh, maybe found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now verse 8, whom having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. How beautiful is faith? Look at what this says, that we love Jesus. We do, right? We love Him. We love Jesus even if we don't see Him. It says we believe in Jesus. Right? We believe in Jesus. We've put our faith and our hope and our trust in Him. We believe in Jesus even if we don't see Him. And it says that we rejoice with joy, inexpressible and full of glory, which we do, I hope, even if we haven't seen Jesus. That's faith. To verse 9, receive the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls, that your faith one day you won't need. Your faith will be ended because you'll be with Jesus. You'll see Him. And I get the idea here, like Peter is amazed about faith. Because think of what Peter's, who he's writing to. Peter had seen Jesus for three years. Lived life with Jesus like I talked about. And Peter's writing to Gentiles. They don't even have a Jewish background. They're from... Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, they're, they're far from Israel. And he's saying, you guys have never seen Jesus, but you love Him. You guys have never seen Jesus, but you believe in Him. You've never seen Jesus, but you rejoice with joy inexpressible. That's incredible. That's us as well, if our faith is in Jesus. 
That's an amazing thing. And don't take that for granted. We also have Thomas, for example. And Thomas, again, he was a disciple. He saw Jesus. He saw everything Jesus had done. Walked on water, raised the dead, healed people. Like Jesus healed so many people, the Bible just kind of mentions it offhandedly. And Jesus healed many people. I mean, it says that because he did it so much. Thomas was there for all of that. Plus, to hear what Jesus had taught, to see how Jesus lived. And then when Jesus dies, and He comes back to life, Thomas isn't there to see Him, and Thomas doubts. And he says, I, I'm not going to believe that Jesus rose from death until I put my, my hand in, in the holes in His body. And well, Jesus shows up to Thomas and says, well, here you go. Look at these holes. Touch them. Believe. He gives Thomas the proof that he needs, even though, I mean, if we think about us and in our lives with Jesus, we had, he had way more proof than we do. He had Jesus in the flesh. But Jesus showed him what he needed. But it says right after that in John, Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So this faith that we have in our trials, where is it? It's, it's in our inheritance which Jesus has earned for us because of the mercy the Father has given us. We live by the power of the Holy Spirit with this faith that He's given us, which guards us. See, everyone has faith in something. Our faith is in a living hope, not a dead one. Faith is so important in in all aspects of our lives with Jesus as we follow Him because faith is outside of our control. See, that's why we receive our salvation through faith. Salvation is given as a gift of grace from God through Jesus, which we receive by faith. Because faith is the side of our control. We want to control everything. Faith says, that's outside of me. Biblical faith is a gift from God. Because anything else is something we would boast in. And we even boast in our faith sometimes. I chose God. You know, he, he chose you. He gave you that faith. You know that He chose you because you chose Him. But faith is out of our control, so that makes it hard. Again, Peter, he's telling these words, like I've been saying, to real people with real problems. And he's amazed and encouraging them about their faith. But he ends here with a little bit extra motivation and encouragement for them. So let's end there too. Verses 10 through 13. Of this salvation the prophets have inquired and searched carefully who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who is in them was indicating when He testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that, not to themselves, but to us they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the Gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. See, Peter saying, this faith that you have is something that humanity was looking forward to. In this, this era that we live in, after the incarnation of God in the flesh as the God-man Jesus, after the crucifixion of Jesus when He atoned for our sin, after the resurrection where He defeated death and gave us eternal life and righteousness, and after the ascension when Jesus returned to heaven. That's what everybody was waiting for. He says the prophets have inquired and searched carefully 
wondering when this grace would come. When would God come to save His people? And it says that it was revealed to them. They weren't serving themselves. They're serving you. They're serving us. The prophets of the Old Testament, who were all killed by the religious people, they were serving us. It says, so that they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. See, these people, the Old Testament saints, who had their own struggles, their own problems, who ended up being killed for the most part, their faith, they continued spreading this message that one day God would come to the earth to save His people, which now we've heard about. The real Gospel. So we're living in a time that all of history has looked forward to. That should increase our faith. But also look at the end of this. Things which angels desire to look into. See, this faith is even something that angels are curious about. Angels don't need faith. They are in God's throne room. And this idea that people like us, people who do stupid things and sin in disgusting ways, people like us can have faith in Jesus. Though we've never seen Him, we love Him. Though we've never seen Him, we believe in Him. Though we've never seen Him, we rejoice in Him. That's something even angels are astounded about. So don't look at this faith in your trial as some little thing. This faith is what guards you. This faith is what keeps you. And this faith is why we continue moving forward looking to the salvation that will be revealed to us. So the only real answer to this these trials which we face our whole lives is not anything to do with this lifetime. It's in the next one. See, and that's a real answer because any other hope is a dead hope because this world is, is ending. Even if you're not a Christian, you realize that. At the very least, it's going to run out of resources. Right? We know that, that this, this world is ending and any hope in this world is a dead hope. So we put our hope in a living hope through our faith. See, trials are called trials because they're hard and because they reveal something. The trials reveal in a court of law, it's innocence and guilt. The trials reveal. What do your trials reveal about your faith? Hey, when, the, when you're put to the fire and the dross is coming up, what's, what's still there? When when you're facing the trial and your faith is what is guarding you, your faith in God, these are revealing your faith. And what's it really in? Is your faith in a thing, in a dead hope? Or is it in Jesus, in the fact that He has made you perfect and righteous and He has a place for you in His kingdom where you won't have trials anymore? So what do your trials reveal about your Savior? Is He the God in this Bible? Or is He some figment of your imagination who exists to wrap you in His arms of love? And that's it. I'm not saying He doesn't do that. I'm saying it's much more than that. So if you're not a Christian, you're facing trials too. And you have a choice. And if you're listening, I want to give you this, this perspective of if it's just about that God is going to fix your trials, that's not why you worship Him. You worship Him because He's God. And because you know you're a sinner, 
and you're going to hell without Him. If your choice is between going to the bar and numbing your pain or worshiping a false god who you're going to abandon when times get hard, I mean, that's... I don't know if that's a hard choice. But if your choice is between going to the bar and numbing your pain or worshiping God because He has the power to save you from hell, that's different. It's a turn from your sin and turn to Jesus and receive that salvation by faith, a place in His kingdom. If you're a Christian, facing your trial starts with what God has done. He's had mercy on you. He has an inheritance for you. He's guarding you by your faith. So knowing that, what we do is rejoice in those things He's done for us. We persevere to see what our faith is really about. And we increase our faith because it's incredible. Even angels are amazed at it. Because what the, the prophets were doing to bring us this Gospel is to show us what God has done for us and how He does love us so much that He wants to be with us forever. And He's given us the faith we need to to get to Him. Let's pray. Oh Father, we, um, we come to You because we face trials. And we want these trials to reveal that our faith is incredible. We want these trials to reveal that our faith is really in what You have done for us, Jesus. What You've done for us on the cross to give us eternal life and a place in Your kingdom. So give us faith during our trials to know that You're guarding us. You're keeping us. Help us, God, to help others who are in their trials. Not by throwing religious things at them that don't mean anything, but but by exhorting each other, encouraging one another to look at where our faith really is and how amazing that is. God, if there's anyone listening who, who doesn't have their faith in You, I pray that You would grant that gift to them right now. And for those of us who are Christians, help us to persevere until the day when, when our salvation is completely revealed and we have no more need for faith because we see You face to face, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to a live teaching from the River Christian Fellowship, the home of CSN. If you'd like to hear today's teaching again, you can catch the free podcast by searching the iTunes store for the River Christian Fellowship. Or call us at 800-357-4226. Don't forget to catch next week's morning service at 10 a.m. Mountain Time and tune in next week for more from the River Christian Fellowship.